You're about to listen to Colorado Sports Guys podcast brought to you by the Denver Chop House. Chop House is located at 19th and Wine Coop, just a hop and a skip away from Coors Field. So Rockies fans, Nuggets fans, Broncos fans, Avalanche fans, visit the Denver Chop House. Go grab a steak, a burger, belly up to the bar, enjoy one of their many fine brewed craft beers. But make sure you visit the Chop House and tell them the Colorado Sports Guys sent you because they love us. We love you. Now enjoy the show. From CSG Studios, high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado, you're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. Hey, what's up everybody out there on the interwebs? Once again, myself and Mr. Jeff Morton, the King of Thornton himself. Yo, what's up everybody? We are here at uh, Jake's Wooden Spirits. Here at... Jake's enjoying some uh, some fine foods. Yeah, I, I just had some hummus. Yep, Jeff loves the hummus here. I do. Orders it uh, quite often. I do. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about, but first, we have to announce Ross Martin, Baby Watch 2014 is over. 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 He's not going to get a chance to announce himself, but Ross and his wife gave birth to a lovely little girl. A lovely little girl. Yes. And uh, congratulations to Ross from Nate and I. And uh, I'm sure uh, all of our loyal listeners extend um, a laurel and hearty handshake to uh, Ross Martin on yeah. this uh, con- on this monumental day as the Colorado Sports Kid is now born. Colorado Sports Kid is live and active. Yes, Ross. I, I saw a picture on Facebook. He was getting ready to change some diapers. He had on some, uh, yeah. some big old kitchen gloves and a mask. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had that whole, like, is it ready to go in kind of thing. So, yeah, um, yeah. The congratulations, Ross, and uh, uh, look forward to having you back on the podcast very soon because we will not let you out of it. <laughs> yep. You signed up for this thing, but you're in. <laughs> in till the end. So a lot of good stuff going on, Jeff. I uh, Over the weekend, I was at a wedding in Boulder. We went yes, up sir. to the uh, Greenbrier Inn. Where is that? Um, it's way out on Foothills Parkway. I mean, way out. Wow. You feel like you're lost, and then it's like, are we here? And then you find it. It's great, but it's like that place has light. awesome food. Oh, yeah? Amazing food. I had the yeah. prime rib. They had duck there, chicken, all that good stuff. Wow. But really good food, really good time. Uh, it's wedding season once again, man. This is another, I mean, you always seem to be attending a, a wedding of one of your friends. I think I've gone to like five weddings in the past three years or something like that. <laughs> it's a lot. You're either going on a bachelor party or a wedding or yeah. I always see Nate's, where's Nate? I know he's off attending the wedding of a friend of his. So we, uh, you know, I was kind of out of the sports world for a couple of days where I didn't even take, I had my cell phone with me, but I rarely even had it on me because... What did I need it for? All my friends were there, right? So mm-hmm. I figured yep. if something what, big broke, I'd catch it at some point. What did you do for Memorial Day? Uh, I worked. Oh, so lovely. that was fun. I attended three <laughs> barbecues. Did you really? Yeah, oh I only God. ate at one. Yeah, that's smart. That's probably a good move. I, I just, you know, but I, I did the tour, so to speak, and uh, then ended up, ended up back at home and watched the end of the uh, uh, Indiana-Miami game, so... I did squeeze in a little sports this weekend, but uh, I got done working and then went home. We closed a little early and then uh, burned down some bratwursts. So those were good. Burned down some bratwursts. Oh yeah, burned them up. Is that charred them up? Is that like a restaurant? That's chef lingo right there. Okay, (laughs) chef lingo. (laughs) What since when did you start talking in chef lingo? I'm a cook, brother. I don't know how you, to tell you, you this. Do, you do I, cook. I like if to you, cook. If you follow Nate on Instagram, he will occasionally uh, post a picture of his uh, culinary uh, ex- exploits. Yes, I will. I will. But And probably the best thing I did yesterday is after I got home, burned down some dogs, was drinking a beer, a uh, Ska's Mexican lager. It's a seasonal beer. Oh, amazing yeah. out of Durango, by the way. You got to try that. What's a Mexican lager? Delicious. Is that, is. is that like uh, Dos Equis? Is a yeah, it's in the yeah. same realm as a Dos Equis lager, but a little bit tastier. A little more flavor to that bad boy. Um, got my beer, got my bratwurst, and then I had wisely, before I left for the weekend, figured out when they were going to be airing the Detroit Bad Boys documentary. Yes, 30 finally. 30. 
I recorded that thing. It played it like I think it aired at six a.m. on Saturday, so I was able to watch that yesterday. Phenomenal documentary. Phenomenal. It uh, it it really is good. Very well done. It's you know the thirty for thirty is hit and miss sometimes, but the 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 one on the bad boys I thought was extremely well executed. And I and hated those Pistons teams. Oh, me too. Hated them. Like the hate, they beat that. I remember. I'll never forget. I was sitting on the edge of my parents' bed. Watching on a very small television screen. Did your dad push you off the bed at some point? Your stories always seem to end with you getting thrown to the ground. <laughs> yeah, somehow. This is this is how we treat Jeff. Um, I'm surprised that you and Andy haven't, uh, or Ross, haven't pushed me to the ground and kicked me yet. We've but discussed anyway, it. Well, it'll happen eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> but I sit on the edge of their bed watching this and watching um, Vinny, the microwave Johnson, just tear apart the Portland Trailblazers in 1990. And I was so upset because I hated the Pistons. I didn't even really care about the Blazers. I really hated the Pistons, and I did not want them to win. I got confused when they when they said Vinny Johnson. I was thinking Dennis Johnson. And I was like, that doesn't look like Dennis Johnson. Dennis oh, wait, Vinny Johnson. Yeah, yeah. Who's this guy? I'm just glad you weren't thinking Vinny Del Negro. <laughs> yeah. I wish we would have gotten a little more, uh, or a, a little more. I wish we would have got something on Scott Hastings from that. You uh, know? There some practice a, footage. There's a brief glimpse of him walking up some stairs, I believe. It would have been interesting to get just a short little interview with him about what it was like to be, you know, kind of a a, a great practice player and a bench guy on a team like that, you know, because, I mean, it really did seem like that was an intense team. Well, he remember uh, Scott was on the uh, Hawks teams of the 80s with uh, Dominique. Right. And uh, so he's got some, I've heard him on the radio, some great Dominique Wilkins stories. So it's amazing how you follow that career. You, know, you go from sitting on the bench with the uh, the Hawks to sitting on the bench with the uh, the world champion. Uh, oh no, actually, you know he was on the first year of the Miami Heat. Yep, he was a first, and the he was part, I believe, of the expansion draft. I heard him talk on the radio about how South Beach wasn't quite yet the tourist attraction that it is when he was there because he's like all these people are like oh you played for the heat i bet that was a great time he's like yeah you know it was kind of still a developing area at that point in time so that's yeah, interesting yeah what probably it wasn't a you know welcome to miami benvenidos miami <laughs> yeah. here it, it was more of a welcome to miami see some retirees you know <laughs> yeah now to get to our uh, our segment that we seem to sometimes have the stuff we talked about before the podcast. That's a hard segue, Nate. That was a hard segue. Hard segue. We were talking about how stacked <laughs> that Pistons team was. You know, I mean, yeah. you had Isaiah, Joe Dumars, you know, both Hall of Fame caliber guys. Yeah. You have uh, Dennis Rodman eventually. You have Adrian Dantley for a short time before they trade him for Mark, was Mark Aguirre. Aguirre. Yeah. And you have Bill Lambeer. You have Rick Mahorn. You have Larry, not Larry Nance, uh, John Sally. I didn't know it was a Jehovah's Witness when he was a, a wee lad. Oh, so it was kind of funny. That. We are talking about that on there. Um, say John Sally, later of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, but, I mean, that team was deep. Vinny Johnson, like you said, I mean, that's, you know, seven, the eight guys that are, like, uh, Joe, great players. Joe Dumars was a great two-guard. Two he was really good. I, 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 I mean, he was the one player on that team that I remember not having a problem with. Really? Um, that was it? Yeah. Vinny Johnson was not bad at all. Um, he was, you know, they called him the microwave because he, you know, he would come in and the J.R. Um, Smith of his time, he would nuke your leftover burrito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you got to watch that documentary. If, you, if any of you guys have not seen that one yet, make sure you try to find that one and watch it. Cause it, it was great. Any, if they did, if they only did 30 for thirties about old NBA teams, I'd watch all of them. Oh well, yeah. Because there's so many in that period. You know, it's like. They need more from the. I mean, you could even do a documentary on Dr. J's Philly teams, or uh, um, they had uh, well, they had Dr. J, but that was more just on him. Yeah, Still wasn't Doug Collins on those teams? Though? Yeah, I think so. Doug Collins was really good. Yeah, I'd like to see some on him because I'd I'd love to see more on like Young Barkley as well. Love Barkley. Had a pair of Barkley shoes when I played hoops. When Did I was you? A kid? Oh yeah. I always had a shoe budget. My mom would give me a shoe budget of like 80 bucks. Jordans were $100, so I could never afford those. Were you the round mound rebound out there, though? I was a rebounding fool, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big man. time. I remember Barkley was just like, he sniffed out those. Re- he was another one. We, he and I, you were, this is another saying, like we were talking about this before the podcast. Um, but we were talking about, you know, um, Rodman having a nose for the ball. And, you know, um, um, Charles Barkley was another one, undersized. 
guy the same thing. So I mean, that yeah, was six foot trend. four inch power forward. That's that was Sean Leonard's height. Man, what? I think he was a better shooter than Vashon Leonard. Yeah, <laughs> just crazy. But all right, man. So in honor of of Ross Martin having his his little kiddo there and stuff, we're gonna bring back a little segment that we like to call headlines. I was worried for a second that we're gonna do like baby names or something like that. <laughs> baby names. All right, first headline. Here we go from the Denver Post. Troy E. Rank. Uh oh. Broncos. T.J. Ward wanted for misdemeanor assault. This was back on uh, May the 22nd when this little story broke about May 22nd, yeah. him at a gentleman's club. Apparently there was uh, maybe some liquor involved, apparently, that he brought into the club and maybe threw something at somebody. And Yeah, I believe he was at PT's for those who, people who know what that is, which is, I believe, an all-nude strip joint. That's why they don't serve the alcohol there? Yep. Which is, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. This is exactly what you want out of your safety, though, right? A guy that's got a couple of screws loose, maybe. He's going to get out there and you know mix it up. and Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you uh, the NFL, I mean, listen, I think every team has character problems, don't they? I mean, pretty much you hear about every team having some sort of thing happening. Did you see that video? <laughs> there, there's a little clip the other day of uh, the kid asking his dad something about the dad wanting to, the kid to talk about Michael Sam. And the kid goes, oh, is he the guy that, you know, did... And then he lists, like, 50 things that are horrifically bad. And he's like, no, that was Ray Rice. No, that was this guy or that guy, you know? Like, this guy's just gay. <laughs> he's not a, a drug user, a wife beater, or this and that, you know? So it was it was a great little clip of... I don't know whoever did that it on is YouTube interesting. or something. It is interesting how, I mean, not to get on my soapbox here about this particular issue, which I'm sure no one wants to hear, but to be honest with you... It, there's a lot of issues in the NFL. You got Ray Rice pasted his girlfriend in the face, knocked her out in a elevator, and then was filmed dragging her limp, not unconscious body out of an elevator. And then they had. Did you see the press conference highlights where she, where his then fiance and now wife was apologizing for her role to play in this whole thing. I did see that. I mean, I, I, I don't know who it was I was listening to. It might have been uh, Ari Shafir or Joe Rogan or something, but they're they're talking about, maybe it was David Tell. I don't know. They're like, some comedian was saying, you know, there is a, a fault at some point to like, you know, somebody doesn't just all of a sudden start beating you up for no reason. Like you've been true. antagonizing somebody. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of a funny way to look at it just because it was. Oh, there were, there's a theory that you there's there's two two people who have illness in an abusive relationship the abuser and the person who antagonizes constantly to get the abuse i don't necessarily i mean i'm not a psychologist so i can't diagnose that sort of thing all i know is that ray rice is a schmuck that is all i know yeah i made a big mistake and that's the other problem with living in uh you know a time where we have security cameras all over the place. We have, you know, all this stuff. Like, uh, there's so much focus on, you know, 24-hour news. You know, no one's life could stand up to 24-hour scrutiny, you know. But, I mean, and I'm sure we'd hear about more of these things, you know, back in the 70s, 80s. I mean, God, there's that famous clip of, uh, is it Dinkin' Jones? Where he's talking about, you know, yeah, sometimes you gotta you got to hit people, you know, like when you hit a woman. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. Adam right. Carolla plays that all the time, and it's like, whoa, that's a crazy soundbite, man. That is that is actually, you're right, and Deacon Jones did say that. I forgot about that. That's horrible. <laughs> I know. It's like, like the Sean Connery. If a woman deserves a slap, I'll give it to her, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it, was, it was Barbara Walters' interview with yeah, Sean was Connery? Yeah, and, and, you know, you're looking at him thinking... <laughs> Okay, Sean. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, got some trouble over that one, and rightfully so. Yeah, so Broncos, yeah, doing good with some of their newly well, you know, talented you never guys. Know. It's, um, you know, you would hope that they would keep the uh, strip club incidents to a minimum. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope so. All right, moving on. Uh, this one isn't so much a headline as it is just me looking at the MLB standings oh, yeah, and good. seeing that uh, our Colorado Rockies in third place in the National League West, twenty-seven oh, and twenty-four. They were doing so well, and then I need to watch more Rockies games because every time I watch, something good happens. I saw the uh, well, I saw a walk-off one. homer the other day. I saw another one, uh, Ariano's Nolan Ariano's homer. Probably just butchered his name. Sorry, Arenado. bud. Yeah, him, him too. That guy. <laughs> I saw his that. 
that didn't get called a home run, but it should have because it went over and then yeah, bounced back in. That was a walk-off. Yeah, it was a, yeah. Call, it was a walk-off double, it turned out to be. But yeah, that was, I was upset because I've grown to love the uh, from third base to home plate on the walk-off homer. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Well, I remember when remember when Ryan Spielberg hit that walk off grand slam against the uh, the Giants. He just ran as fast as he could around the bases, yeah. which was a fun moment. But yeah, the Rockies were um, rolling along pretty good, and then I saw them last week. You went to Coors, right? Yeah, you were I was at the there. game. Yeah, and uh, they played an awful game against the Giants. You didn't go to the party deck. I didn't, not this time. That's I, all did. I, hear I could see it from my, but my, my seats were so close to the field, I didn't want to, you know. But I was looking up, and I'm like, eh, maybe I should go up there. But I just really, to be honest with you, I was just too lazy. Somebody was telling me the other day that um, a bunch of people from the party deck came down and were walking around the concourse, and they were so drunk that they all got escorted out of the stadium. <laughs> That's not surprising to me. <laughs> they've got, if you look up, they've got restaurant, bar, bar. I mean, basically. It's a drunkard's delight up there, yeah. and you're thinking, I, you, you remember well, last year when Ross had the headline about the uh, guy falling over the rail? And, yeah, in and, Atlanta. Keep having this thing that we're going to read something about that. Here, I, I hope not, but, man, you got to put a bunch of drunks like that high up there with that little, <laughs> you know, wallular protection. What's the altitude like up there, you know? It's like being in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, wasn't the mile high thing like in the second deck up there? Did you the purple be? row, man? Yeah, the purple row. So they're they're mile high up there. Yeah, literally. So, but, All they need is a hash bar. And the Rockies have been they've been fun to watch. And I like I've said before, I, I really enjoy since my time is so limited. I watch show, so much basketball and bad TV that you know if I catch the Rockies in like the seventh or eighth inning, I'll probably tune in. Especially if it's a close game, whatever. I'll be like, oh, maybe I'll watch you know the end of this thing. Hopefully it's the ninth inning, but usually I just catch it like the seventh or eighth. And that's about enough baseball for me, about three <laughs> innings. That's about all I have time for, which is sad but true. I've noticed that with basketball. You know, a lot of basketball fans have a hard time sitting through a whole ba- baseball game. I've been, unfortunately, during these NBA playoffs, uh, short on time as well. So I've been recording the games, and then I'll watch some of the first quarter. I'll fast forward through most of the second. Usually if, the, if it's a halftime on TNT, I'll watch that. Uh, I'll watch a little bit of a chunk of the third quarter, and then I'll fast forward until there's like six minutes left, and then watch like the last six minutes of the game. That's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. And you claim to be a basketball fan. Short on time, bud. Can't help it. It's in this workaday world. It's all we can have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll do that occasionally. You know, I, but most of the time I'll just watch Murder She Wrote and then. <laughs> been watching a lot of Deadwood. I'm back. I'm on season three, thinking I can get that plot out before the weekend. There's only like four seasons of that? Three. Yeah, three. And then uh, I was trying to think if it's David Simon or whoever wrote that show. They decided to let that die because he wanted to make John from Cincinnati so bad. And that was the worst show of all time. Well, sometimes people make bad decisions, Nate. That was a bad decision. Deadwood was great. And right now the Spurs are getting killed. It's almost a 30-point lead for the Thunder. God, that's just depressing. Speaking of basketball, Jeff, we got a headline here from DenverStiffs.com. Oh, my God. On May 20th. It's been that long since we podcasted. This one's by uh, a guy we know, King of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Oh, my. Draft lottery recap. Nuggets pick where expected and Cleveland again. <laughs> really? Speaking of the Cleveland Cavaliers winning the NBA lottery with a 1% chance of doing so, they've well, now they, had they, the number they, one pick three out of the last four years. They had a slightly, slightly better chance than the Nuggets did. Just slightly. God. <laughs> so we were here for the – we didn't even get to talk about this. We had the draft party here at Jake's, 3800 Walnut Street. And when they pulled up the 12th pick and they had the Orlando Magic logo, I got super confused. Because I was expecting to either see the Knicks or Nuggets. And I was like, if we see any other team, that means Denver has leapfrogged. So when they pulled the Orlando card, I don't know if you saw me in the booth. That's I had right. both arms in the air. And I was like, yes. That's right. That and I was, was like, wait a minute. That just means our pick's going to them. That was the Knicks pick. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah. I was sitting at the back. I was, you know, we're, we're at Jake's and we had our draft lottery party here. And they have a big 100 inch projection screen. And I was standing well back with one of my friends. Watching it, and when it got to our, when it came to Orlando, I'm like, 
they're going to be picking 11. <laughs> Did you have any – were you confused at all by the Orlando logo, or were you prepared for it? I, I was prepared because that was Denver's pick. You right. know, it was that the lower of the pick. So as soon as Orlando came up, I knew the Nuggets were going to pick 11. Yeah, I just I saw that Orlando logo and I, I lost it for a second. I was like, we got a top three pick. <laughs> Man, that was anticlimactic. It lasted for about three seconds. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Crap. And then as the camp progressing, people are like, no, not Cleveland. No, it no. couldn't be. No. No. Ah! So, the, okay, this next headline is going to kind of melt into uh, the, that Denver Stiffs one that you had, Jeff. Uh, this one's from the Denver Post. Christopher, don't call me Chris Dempsey on May 25th. Nuggets president Josh Kroenke builds foundation piece by piece. I and see. then I want to read a quote here from Josh Kroenke because, as we know, the Nuggets have the 11th pick. There's been a lot of talk from Tim Conley. He talked to us on the podcast. He's been making radio rounds uh, talking about the Nuggets wanting to be aggressive, you know, and you've heard Ty Lawson mention it. You've heard Tim Conley mention it, that they might be aggressive with that 11th pick. And like Lawson said in an interview, maybe we can package that with something, trade up, you know, trade for somebody, trade, do something. Uh, here's a quote from Josh Kroenke in that article. He says, we have a talented group. If the worst case scenario is we wind up with a healthy group next year, then I think we've improved ourselves immensely just being healthy. So that, to me, backs off from all this aggressive trade talk. It does seem to feel like they're backing off, doesn't it? But, it, you know, I, you never know with these things. You would hope that that is not the case because they're, you know, they're, they're laying the groundwork for something and then, you know, to retreat, you know, and, or as Monty Python would say, run away, you know. And as and, we know and as, as Conley mentioned, you know, it takes two to tango. We uh-huh. don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, you can't just say, yeah, we want to be aggressive. We want to make a splashy move when one may never present itself. Yeah. I mean, as, as you would know better than I, uh, there's probably some players that aren't terrible at number 11 that you could get. And, you know, maybe. But the, the, the problem is, that, and this is the way I've always seen it, is the Nuggets draft at that spot isn't necessarily drafting from a position of strength. You're drafting a player that could be on your roster today. You know, you have the same problem that you've always had, but unless you're the most lucky team in the world. The problem is right now is the the Nuggets don't have a core like the Spurs. And they don't have that luxury to let develop. You know, they would, the person would have to be thrust in there. But are they really going to be better than who you have? That's, you know, kind that's, of the, what it, you know. that's the thing for me, too, is, you know, we're, we're, we're preaching, and I've been preaching patience, thinking that, you know, we just, we just got Tim Conley here. We just got Brian Shaw here. They're wanting to overhaul the style of play as well as perhaps the roster and the vision of the team. Because it's not Masai's vision anymore. It's, it's Tim Conley's vision and what he thinks is going to you know, build a winner. So it's like, to me, Denver hit like that reset button where, okay, we need to give this a few seasons. And you know, there's really nothing last season that indicated that the Nuggets are ahead of schedule on any kind of rebuild that may be taking place. You know, I mean, it, but if this team's healthy, what, what are they going to be, a, you know, a 45-50 win team right in the middle of the pack in the Western Conference? Well, listen, I, I, I agree, but this is the thing. that The reset button should have been hit last offseason. And uh, that's what I'm like. You hear this, and you, and you just kind of start rolling your eyes, and it's like time to talk about preaching patience was, would have been when you're actually starting from a lower place than the Nuggets were. You know, you can we can all talk about uh, the injuries as an excuse, and I personally don't like the concept of tanking. But you, you always say the Nuggets can't add someone in free agency, and you can only do it through trades in the draft. Well, you didn't give yourself the best opportunity to get a better draft pick, and you may have a situation where no one wants to trade with you. I mean, huh? yeah, you just kind of stay in the <laughs> middle of the road, and you know, like, like you said, I, I like some guys that they are going to probably have an opportunity to take with the 11th pick. Um, at the same time, you know, you got to be realistic in thinking you're not drafting Steve Nash, you're not drafting Kobe Bryant, no. you know, unless you get extremely lucky, 
your best hope is you get a guy that should be able to compete for a starting spot either this coming season or within the next season or two. You know, so I mean, you you're getting hopefully, you know, somebody like Clay Thompson if you get that lucky. You know, and hopefully yeah. you're not getting um, God. Who's another guy that's picked there? Um, AC Law. Yeah, he was he was an eleventh pick. Paul I George believe. was tenth, I believe, right? So I mean, that's in that area. Yeah, but Paul George didn't become Paul George until what, three years in. So, I mean, we're not, we don't even know what he is yet. And we have, yeah, that's another subject. But I mean, yeah, there's always those. And then you know, Steve Nash was thirteen or fourteen, right? No, Kobe was four. Uh, I think 13. Nash was fifteen. Nash was fifteen. Then Jermaine O'Neal was like eleven. And it took him a, a different franchise plus years, you know, maybe two different franchises. Mm-hmm. Where did he go after Toronto? Did he go straight to Indiana? Portland. He was in Portland, wasn't he? Was he ever in Toronto? <laughs> or am I just thinking Tracy McGrady? We say that sometimes we are accurate in the things we say. Right now, this is Nate, and I have no idea. And he's got the I got Google right here. Yeah, it's just like I'm not even going to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that important. Yeah, I think he was just Portland <laughs> and then Indiana. Yeah, I think he was part of that, yeah. some weird trade that those two teams made, right? Yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be, like I said, and we've been talking about it all, you know, everybody's kind of saying, you know, let's wait to see what happens this offseason to really try to grade what the Nuggets are doing and what direction they're going to take. And it is going to take that. You're going to have to wait this offseason to see, you know, maybe if they if they start to take a step in a direction. But This is a big offseason, Nate. I mean, really, if it's a sit-on-your-hands situation, it's, it's kind of like, well, you're not really seeing what you have because you already saw what you had. You know, we're not talking about a team that's an unknown quantity. Really, the injured players that you're wanting back are people you've seen. So you're like, okay, how many times are we going to get the we want to see what we have and, Speech. and out of yeah. the injured guys, I mean, who's the one difference maker out of them all? It's Gallo. It's Gallo. And, I mean, how, how good was Gallo or how good can he be again coming off those injuries? That's, when that's, I made that point in the article. Who, who knows? And a lot of people question, have questioned Gallo's you know, toughness, his willingness to get in there and mix it up and play inside. And, yeah. you know, we don't know what we're going to get with him. Hopefully, you know, you, you root for best-case scenario, but... I mean, it's not like he was in the conversation for best small forward in the NBA before his injury. Mm. So, I mean, you're counting on a player who wasn't... He might have been a top 10 small forward when he went out. I think he was a top 10. This small forward position in the NBA is not fantastic right now, outside of the top, you know. Yeah, obviously LeBron James would stand above everyone else. But, um, you know, at the same time, it's like you're asking a lot of someone who was a 16-point, you know, three-assist, five-rebound-a-game kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to have to expect him to come back off of, you know, an ACL injury and, you know, put up 20 to 25 a game and, you know, double his assists and rebounds or, you know, I don't know what you're thinking there. Like you said, he's a, he's a fine role player, but... He's a guy I want on my team if he's the guy that really binds the team together. But I don't necessarily want that you have to be the be-all, end-all thrust on him because I think all Denver Stiffs know and everyone who's listening to this knows that that's you know he's five years into his career, six years into his career, and he is more of a glue guy than he is a star. And to I don't think it's kind of unfair to go that direction with it. It's, it's like you're expecting the fans to buy into it, and I don't. I think the fans know. I think the fans know that it's not that. Yeah, you know? it's not like we're waiting on LeBron James to come back. Exactly. You know, and then I'm, I'm, I, another thing too with the Nuggets is you're you're looking at that team and you're just kind of wondering. You know, you hear Bill Simmons brings it up in an article the other day about you know well, what if you could try to pry Ty Lawson out of Denver type of that's basically what he was saying. And you know, then I started getting some people tweeting me about it, like, Cause, could that really happen? Could the Nuggets actually trade Ty? And it's like, well, you're going to get to a point with Ty where you think he's reached his ceiling and if your team isn't really heading in a good direction then yeah why not try to maximize his trade value well you're depending on you you are basically in any assumption 
with Ty when Brian Shaw, you're basically assuming that Brian Shaw was running the offense he wanted to run last year, which I am dubious about. I don't necessarily think he was. Maybe at the beginning, but at definitely not at the end. And Ty, as the offense was running bef- when he was, when it was really a slow it down kind of thing, wasn't exactly thriving. And are they, if the Nuggets are going to go that direction, then uh, I, I don't know if Ty is the answer in that spot. But they're going to have to determine that. They're going to have to determine from from Shaw if if that's where he's going. If they're going to run more similar to what they're doing at the end of the year. By all means, keep Ty because he's the perfect person for that. It all depends on what kind of offense they're going to run. And I find it funny, too, that all the comparisons of, you know, Brian Shaw's made him, a lot of people in town have made him about how Denver needs to follow this Indiana blueprint. And, you know, Indiana's not a super talented team. They have a slow, plodding center who can't run the floor like JaVale McGee or even like Timothy Mozgov. Yep. You know, they have David West who is coming off an injury who's not an up-and-down player at all. I mean, they're just not a fast-paced team, and it's, you know, there's still, you get that whole debate of, you know, fast-paced, slow-paced, but if the Nuggets have talent where they have Lawson, they have Freed, these guys that play good in a, in a up-tempo offense, even Gallo, Chandler, yeah. and McGee, I mean, these guys are all better at faster paces. Even J.J. Hickson likes to run, so it's, yeah. it's, it's very interesting to see, you know, why are you trying to put reins on, you know, a wild horse, so yeah. to speak. Don't bridle me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you're right, and it's like I don't think the Nuggets know, and quite frankly, I don't know if Brian Shaw knows. Which is like until you determine what you're going to do. Indiana like, style is not looking so hot against Miami. No, it's not. And, <laughs> and Miami, the Nuggets align. I mean, I, I, you can't say that they have the same talent as Miami, no, obviously. No. But their players align more to that style. That's one back-to-back championships. And it is a, well, the Nuggets ran a lot of pick and roll, high pick and roll last year, which wasn't truly prevalent under George Carl, you know, and maybe if they can incorporate some pick and roll into a half up, up paced, you know, offense, then maybe we're talking, you know, maybe that's a kind of a, like a hybrid of what Sean wants to do. I just get the feeling that we weren't seeing last year, especially at the end, what Brian Shaw wanted to do. Yeah, and I don't know, like, because, I mean, Shaw has reiterated and said so many times that he doesn't want to call plays all the time. He doesn't want to slow the team down. He wants them to play fast. You seem to not believe Brian Shaw. I, don't I, I tend believe, to kind of believe him a I little bit. I don't believe a word he says. <laughs> I've seen him far too often put his hands down and slow tie down, especially at the beginning of the year. I, I I honestly just don't have that trust in that. And quite frankly, what better year to kind of say, eh, throw everything at the wall than when you have a year of a team that has no, an entire starting lineup's worth of injuries yeah. by the end of the year. And so, you know, and then his DNA is the triangle. His DNA is the triangle. I don't expect him to have a come to Jesus moment and think suddenly that a fast-paced offense is the way to go. I just don't see it. Because I can't remember. What were those Celtics teams like that he played on? I mean, they they played obviously a lot of half-court with McHale and Parrish and, and uh, Bird as well. But I believe they ran everything through Bird. Because, I mean, that's where Shaw saw a ton of success. Yeah. So know, he only played for the Lakers for a couple of years, but, I mean, he was under Phil for a decade, so... I you know he I could tell Brian Shaw believed in the triangle, but the Nuggets don't have triangle players. They I have just, squares and rounds. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe the closest would be well. I actually believe I think Gallo would do really well in the triangle, but maybe Timofey Mozgov would would work in it because he can pass, um, and he can shoot that outside shot. But outside of that, I don't. Nuggets really don't have any triangle players on there, so maybe they were forced into doing that. I don't know. I'm not trusting of it until I see it for a full year with a full team. I still think they're going to play more of a style that we saw towards the end of the year. I still think they're going to run quite a bit, especially if they believe in Freed and want to sign Freed to a an extension. That's the other question. Yeah. yeah, like if he if he puts pen to paper this off season, then it's like I mean you're 
you're kind of committing to playing at a quicker pace with him. You kind of have to because he was lost when they were going slower. Completely lost. And he was being benched at the end of games, you know, in the second half of the game. So, and then they rode him like a circus elephant towards yeah. the end of the season. He was playing a lot of minutes. Yes, yes they did. They, they put, the old necessity. Put, the, put the old blanket on top of the elephant and rode him. And that's, that. you know. But at the same time, you know, uh, a lot of free statistics were on a team that didn't have any starting caliber players on its roster. Nuggets have to figure out a way to get rid of Anthony Randolph and re-sign Jan Vesely. And that's such yeah. a minor move, but I think a very necessary one. I liked Vesely's defense. I, I did. I, I didn't care about his offense, but I liked his defense. I, th- I thought he, he tried. And I thought he had extremely quick hands, as we discussed with Todd Conley. Watching him in practice, too, like, that dude goes hard in practice. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I mean, Anthony Randolph did, too. Anthony Randolph probably played about as hard as anybody in practice. He'd yeah. always try to throw down those monster dunks in practice. It was like, Anthony, yeah, you're going to hurt yourself. And he did a few times, rolled his ankle. And he rolled his ankle, <laughs> and then he'd go into games, and he'd play like a guy who's never played the game of basketball before. <laughs> and, and, and it's just such a weird dichotomy from where you watch someone in practice, and you see him on the floor, and then you're like, I, how is this possible? And then I, mean, I, I, I think I had the quote last year uh, of if, <laughs> if Anthony Randolph is – Leading your team in shots and scoring, your team is losing that game. <laughs> and he yeah. did twice, and the Nuggets lost. <laughs> yeah, poor Anthony Randolph. I just like to see Vesely on there. I just think, I think he brings a better style. Where Anthony Randolph so focused on offense, and Vesely is like, I'll do all the dirty work. Like if you fill out the end of your bench with those types of guys, I think you're just in a better place. I think you're in a better place for not only in practices, you got more professionals around there, but then when you have to throw him in the game, at least you get something good out of him. Well, just speculating here, what if the Nuggets make a big move and they trade Ty, you know, throw Anthony Randolph in there as filler and try to move up in the draft? Let's say they move up to 6-7. Six, 6-7. Six, right around there, 6-7. I don't think that trade would be worth it to personally because that's kind of a marginal upgrade. And unless they're thinking, say, like a guy like Tyler Ennis is going to be drafted there or if they got Marcus to keep Smart. the 11th pick, too. So they had like six and 11 or. Yeah. Or if they even if they traded the pick, you know, I just uh, I'm like you could probably get Ennis at 11, I would think, if you wanted him. But to me, it's like if you, if you trade Ty then you've basically just told us that you didn't really believe in this team and you need to go in a different direction and it's going to take you more time. Like, if you get rid of Ty, you're going to be worse next year. I think. You know, depending on the deal, I think you're going to be worse. I guess it depends. I mean, really, if they're going to run the... Well, once again, come back to the style of offense they're going to run. If they're going to run a triangle-based offense... But let's just say you just threw Tyler Ennis in there. He's your starting point guard next year. Or do you start Nate Robinson? Like, if those are the two guys you got back, you would start Nate Robinson. You're going to be worse. You're going to be a worse team in the short run, but maybe Ennis makes a huge jump and and it's fabulous the year after. I don't think Nuggets fans would would object to it if they were worse. I don't think they would. I think they would object to it if they had the same record. (laughs) Yeah, I think you, you, you know, you obviously when you. There's so many people. Facebook is is such a monster for comment sections. I mean, I, I can't believe how rude people are on there. It's unbelievable. Extremely but. rude. And people who are listening on Facebook and they comment on there, stop being so rude. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, you have anonymous people on Denver Stiss. Well, not really since we all get together and hang out and stuff, but people on our board are so much more into having a good basketball conversation than they are wanting to attack each other and yell stuff. But... People on Facebook, like, as soon as the team was, you know, their first losing streak of the season, it was, these idiots, they never should have fired George Carl. What are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. So you lose some of the casual fans in that scenario, but your diehard Nuggets fans, your, you know, your people that are buying season tickets, you know, a lot of, all the people that read our site that, that participate, they're going to stick with you, you know, as long as they see that you have some kind of plan in motion. They're going to they're gonna hang around. You're not going to... Well, yeah. I just don't care about casual fans that much. But you have to, I guess, if you're, if you're Josh Kroenke. And the NBA is the best. What's the score there, Nate? 85-71, Thunder. It was a 14-point game. Spurs will do that to you, bud. Yeah. Um, 
I think people the the, the and Conley was saying about you know the the core Nuggets basketball fans are really and really truly and Ross has said this too are some of the most knowledgeable and passionate fans in the NBA and when you when you really look at it the Nuggets if they went at their direction where they got a little worse in order to get better for the future people would like that because yeah. you can see it I don't think people would enjoy a another mediocre season with mediocre players. And I, I just I think that is where people draw the line. And that was kind of the thing that, that Josh Kroenke did that signaled, you know, when he when he fired George Carl, it was the signal of I'm not okay with mediocrity anymore. Yeah. You know, and I wanna so it's like, you know, you bring in this new front office and are they gonna try to trudge forward? How far forward are they gonna try to trudge with this this team? Is it just gonna be next year? And that's not necessarily a bad thing either if you kind of if you give it next season, see what you have, see if you can make a move somewhere either this offseason or by the trade deadline or something, you know, and then then you decide, okay, this isn't working. Let's go in a completely different direction. I don't think it's bad to see exactly what they have yet with this team and if they can plug a hole at some point unexpectedly, you know, via trade. It's, it's some but what if they don't? Well, if they don't and they go through this year and it's a mediocre season, then next offseason they say, okay, Let's trade Lawson. Let's trade Gallo. You know, then they've they've signaled that. But well, I, I don't. I wouldn't fault them for looking at wanting to to give this one more season. Well, by that point, though, Nate, it'll be two years since you fired George Carl, and you've got two years of mediocre basketball. When you said that you didn't want mediocre basketball, I mean, I, I, it's hard to make that argument. It really is. You you would have to say we have this team here. But in order for us to improve, we're going to have to part with something that we like. And sometimes that hurts. But they're going to have to do that. If they part with Gallo, it'll hurt. If they part with Ty, it'll hurt. But if it makes them better and they see a plan, I think people would be okay with that. And I think it's the whole risk-averse thing outside of firing George Carl that bothers people. I would like to see just a kind of a like a... If they do nothing and just select a draft pick that sits on the bench, how satisfying is that? I mean, right. I, what, what are you doing? What are you saying to the fans? You know, it's like basically you're saying like, meh, you know, and I just don't think that's fair. And, and, and that's where I'm at right now. It's like I don't know if I can sit here and make that argument to people and expect them to support the team with the same oomph that they have always in the past, you know. So, I mean, I think that's where the Nuggets, their, their, their problem is right now, is that they're straddling a line between consistent merit mediocrity and making a change that will help them for the future. Yeah, because you, know? you, you start to look at it, too, where you say, okay, if this team's healthy, maybe they're the seventh or eighth seed. I mean, this was a, a brutal Western Conference. Yeah. Maybe next season, maybe they can get that. But that's what they had with George. And then you start to think, well, if that's what they're aiming for still, then was George fired for a different reason other than, you know, we want to go in a different direction? Was it something else behind the scenes that we didn't know about? You know what I mean? I'm going to uh, – that, that is a very good question, Nate, and I think that is really the question of the offseason. That is the, that's it right there. And uh, how are we going to know? I mean, uh, when, if they go to the draft and they say they draft Nick Stauskas, okay? Right, they got a shooting guard that can shoot. I do right. not want that draft pick. <laughs> <laughs> or if they, you know, if they get Gary Harris, same thing. You know, it's like we're saying, okay, we're just going to take the draft pick and not worry about it. We got all these injured players coming back; everything will be fine. When then everyone who logically looks at it, thinking, yeah, but you're not really improving the team, are you? Yeah, that's why I still think if you if you take you know the two guys you mentioned, it's like, ah, oh, geez, you're just drafting a role player here. But if you take you know, if you take Zach Levine, you're taking a kid that's, you know, 19 and has this incredible raw talent, but it's going to take him. It's from UCLA, right? Yeah. yeah. It's going to take him somewhere between two to four years to figure it out. I mean, that's just reality. But what if he figures it out in two to four seasons and he's amazing? Then you've really improved your team. That's why I, I like the idea of if they keep the pick to really swing for the fences on it. I don't care if he, the guy washes out of the league in two years and can't play. But if he has a potential to be really good, 
I would rather that than just taking a role player. Isn't he the only one at that, that could be potential drop to that spot, though? That has that kind of potential? Well, we say potential, but yeah, we're talking about basically when we talk at potential, we're talking athleticism. So, I mean, is there anyone else? Yeah, I mean, Tyler Enos is kind of another guy that you, you could think maybe he turns into something really good, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, See, that's the problem. And I got to look into it a little bit more, but Levine really looks like the biggest, you know, boomer bust type pick. When people talk about the 11th pick not exactly being in the catbird seat, that's really it. Because you're really you're just far enough back to where it's the picks start. Well, this was my fear iffy. all season. It was the Nuggets are going to end up with you know the eighth pick in a seven player draft, and instead they got you know the eleventh pick in a you know maybe an eight player draft or a seven player draft. So it's like, man, that really hurts. I mean, why didn't why didn't you guys just lose five more games? You know. <laughs> well, this is what like I said you know before, and Andy likes to quote. This is what happens when you outsource your tanking. Yeah. You know and. Uh, it's just, it's just the Nuggets are where they are because they wanted to be there. So, let's see how, let's see how they adapt. Let's see how they go forward. But if it's like a, I mean, it's just more of a, like I keep saying, consistent mediocrity is, excuse me, is safe. It's extremely safe, but. So let's not kid ourselves either. Having the third seed in the Western Conference was really like having the eighth seed. I mean, you weren't yeah. you weren't ever better than the Thunder or the Spurs. Yep. Even at fifty seven wins, that team playing so great, like you know, it, there's so much. It's so hard to be elite in the Western Conference, especially now. You know, I mean, obviously you have the Clippers that are going to be great. You have the Blazers who look phenomenal. You have the Rockets who have a ton of talent. Even if the Rockets are just the fifth seed every year, I mean, that's a, a tough team to try to leapfrog over. Well, especially if they, you know, Daryl Morey is a trading fool. Yeah, what know, if they so wind up with Mello? If they get Mello or if they make, you know, if they swing for fences and get, get Kevin Love, you know, something like that. They're improving themselves dramatically. And then, you know, people always complain about the Nuggets not showing out. And I think that would be a symptom of it. People are like, you have an opportunity to, to really kind of start changing things. Either way, either direction, dramatically up or dramatically down, that'll make us think, okay, this is where our future is going. And then if they just sit on their hands, it's been like, eh. What would you rather see them do? Would you rather see them try to hang on to what they have right now and maybe they luck into a deal at the trade deadline? Or would you rather see them trade Ty and Gallo and guarantee they're going to be so bad they'll get a couple good draft picks? In that scenario, I'd like to see them trade Tyler Gallo now, personally. You can get a pretty good haul for Ty Lawson right now. Gallo, I'm not so sure. No, Gallo is going to be hard to, hard to trade. but Halfway know, he, through the season, he might not be. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, you're going to have Gallo on the team. Uh, you know, you have... Uh, um, uh, but if you wash out a lot of the... like, What people don't want to hear... By the way, and I found this out. What people don't want to hear is that JaVale McGee is going to make a difference. I think from what, <laughs> yeah. I've, from what I've understand, the public has had it with the JaVale McGee talk. And to be honest with you, I don't blame them. I really don't. And it's like trying to preach sunshine and roses to people who look at it and they say it's just a pile of crap in your hand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the JaVale the, is going to save us thing is... I mean, when you, when you talk about injured guys being out last year, you're talking about Gallinari. Uh, to me, if you talk about anybody else, you're just lying to yourself. Timofey Mozgov played so well last year when they finally started him. Yeah. That it rendered JaVale McGee pointless. It's seriously, I mean, not that... Especially that, with the 60 other big guys on the roster. Yeah. It's not like Mozzie is, like, you know, the best player in the world. But he, what he did was he played so well within the context of the Nuggets. That's kind of like, well, okay, then why are we spending so many, so much time pining away for Javale McGee? The thing I do like about Javale, though, that I think he really, where he does add a lot of value, he's got pretty good hands. I mean, that guy can go up and catch pretty much anything. And I liked, you know, early in the season when Shaw was running those like backdoor picks, lob plays, and stuff that you know Randy Foy was throwing. 
I mean, you, you've, we found out with Andre Miller that, you know, JaVale does really well when he has a guy that can find him in spots to get easy buckets. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, JaVale's not going to be a, a horrific player. I mean, he does have value. He does, he does block shots. He has games where he rebounds very well. And he, you know, he can sometimes score 15 points or whatever, but I mean, he's not, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they try to, I mean, if you replaced him with Mozgov last year and asked him to do all the stuff that Timothy did, I, I just don't see it, you know. I mean, he it's t- it's going to be tough. It's going to be interesting to see where he's at next year. Very interesting. Mozgov managed to be the whole thing. He was the whole package. Inconsistent. Did, inconsistently, but he improved through the year. Then towards the end of the year, he had that 23-point, 29-rebound game. And then he followed it up with like a 17-point, 11-rebound game, you know. So he didn't drop off and like have a – 10 point, you know, or excuse me, an eight point, you know, three rebound game. So that was a good sign. That was an excellent sign. And I'm hoping that the Nuggets look at that and say, all right, we'll be okay. But then you get kind of scared because you see a guy like Roy Hibbert who was, you know, pretty good and then falls off. So it's like those big guys, you know, sometimes, sometimes they go away as fast as they rise, you know. That's true, but Mozzie is a lot more athletic than Roy Hibbert. Yeah, Moskov is very athletic. It's surprising, but. Mozzie is quick. Mozzie can shoot the outside shot. Roy Hibbert cause does one thing. He has a hook if he gets five feet from the basket. <laughs> and then he stands with his arms straight up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, literally, that's all he does. Poor <laughs> oh, <laughs> Roy Hibbert. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's going to be, you know, we're still just kind of in a holding pattern to see what this offseason is going to unfold. We now know what the draft pick is, so there's... You know, that excitement has come and gone, the 11th pick. And uh, we'll just kind of see what they do from there, man. Yeah, that's, that's all we can do. It, it, it's, a bit, it's just a waiting game at this point, right? It's yeah, just, I mean, you've got to wait till draft yeah. night now to see if, you know, the Nuggets were very active at the draft last year, made a couple of trades that night. So, so June 26th. And it seems like there's a lot of teams willing to, to part with things that, you know, didn't win the lottery. You know, I mean, when you get into that, Five, six, seven, eighth pick. You might, you might be able to, to wiggle up there somehow. It's my goal in life is to wiggle up there. Got to wiggle up there. <laughs> <laughs> and with that note, let's get out of here, Jeff. We'll call this thing good. Uh, we got the Spurs still fighting for stuff over there, right? Kind of, kind of, sorta. They're done. Yeah. Watch them come back and win this thing. Yeah, it's usually what happens as soon as we say that. But they're down by sixteen. Yeah. But until then, we will see you guys next week.